to Hebrews chapter 8. This morning I want to preach on the thought of our heavenly priest. Our heavenly priest. In Valladolid, Spain, where Christopher Columbus died in 1506, stands a monument commemorating the great discoverer. Perhaps the most interesting feature of this memorial is a statue of a lion destroying one of the Latin words that had been part of Spain's motto for centuries. Before Columbus had made his voyage, the Spaniards thought they had reached the outer limits of the earth. Thus, their motto was Ni Plurius Ultra, uh, which means no more beyond. The word being torn away by the lion is Ni, or no, making it read plus ultra. And Columbus had proven that there was indeed more beyond. This morning, I think that in life, sometimes we examine Scripture, the things of God, and we kind of have this mentality that we approach God from our own mortal standards, and we say, ne plus ultra, no more beyond, no more beyond what we understand or what we can imagine. Yet we find in God's Word that there is more to God than we will ever be able to grab our, or grip our hands around, our minds around in this life, for He is far greater and far more wonderful than we can imagine. In Hebrews chapter 8 this morning, if you're able, stand with us for the reading of God's Word. There are only 13 verses, and I would like to take a moment and read the Scripture this morning. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore it is necessary that this one also have something to offer, for if we were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which, is, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah." Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. 
For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what has become obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in prayer. God, we ask that for these next few moments that, Lord, you might speak to our hearts in liberty and in truth. Lord, for the believer here, Lord, who is struggling with a life that is not dedicated to you, God, may they fully surrender to your will in their life. Lord, to the one who is here today who does not know you as their Savior, God, we pray that they may humbly come before your throne and God give their lives to you. Father, we'll thank you and praise you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You may be seated. We find here that in this passage of Scripture, of Hebrews chapter 8, we find that Jesus Christ is presented as a, a heavenly priest, a new priest that has done away with the old and brought about that of the new. I want to look at three aspects of this priesthood of Jesus Christ this morning. And first off, I want to look at the sufficiency of the priest, the sufficiency of our heavenly priest. I've heard of a certain captain who led his troops into a very difficult position, and he knew that the next day he should want for them all to be of great courage because they were facing an army that far out numbered them, and it was a dire situation. So disguising himself at nightfall, he went around the tents and listened to the conversation of his soldiers to find out what their spirit was, and till he finally heard one of them say, our captain is a very great warrior, and he has won many victories. But he has this time made a mistake. For see, there are so many thousands of the enemy, and he only has so many infantry, so many cavalry, and so many guns. The soldiers made out the account and was about to sum up the scanty total when the captain, unable to bear it any longer, threw open the curtain of the tent and jumped in and said, And sir, how many do you count me for? As much as to say, I have won so many battles that you ought to know that my skill can multiply battalions just by handling them. And so the Lord, his servants, estimating how feeble they are and how little they can do and how they are their helpers, I think I hear him rebukingly say to us, but how many do you count me for? We approach life looking at God and we limit him to ourselves, but we forget that he is greater than we are and he is able to do far beyond what we can imagine, not only of himself, but also through us. He can do great things through our lives. So here we find the sufficiency of the priest. Look at me in verse number one. The Bible says, now this is the main point of the thing. What he's saying is, listen, up to this point through Hebrews, 
we've been dealing with the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And he says, listen, here is the sum of what I'm trying to tell you. He said, listen, we've been talking about the Lord through Hebrews. We've been examining him, and we've been looking at spiritual growth and what it means uh, to stand still, but also what it looks like when we pro progress. And he says, this is the main point. This is the sum of the entire matter. He says, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Looking at the sufficiency of the, of the Spirit of God, or the Son of God, our high priest, we find here that he is seated. He says he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. This is important to you and I because what we find is that in heaven, God is there, Jesus Christ, and God is sitting upon his throne, and Jesus, the Son of God, our high priest, is seated at his right side. When we examine this from Jesus Christ's perspective, <coughs> that he is the priest, what we find is when we begin to examine the tabernacle there in the wilderness and the temple there in the Jerusalem, and you begin to study and examine all the ornaments and the decorations and the, and the objects that are placed within the sanctuary and the tabernacle and the temple, what you will find missing is any kind of seat barring the mercy seat of God, which was not made for man to sit upon. There was no chairs, there were no seating quarters, there was nowhere to take naps or to rest, but rather they were there, they were, the priests were to uh, continually work, there was no place to rest because the work was never done, furthermore the work was never done because sin was never done. The people of Israel continued to sin and therefore the priests could not sit down and rest for even a moment, but they had to continually work and labor to make sacrifice and offerings. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 11 says, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Their labor was never done because they had to continually make sacrifices and offerings for sin. But when we come to our high priest, which is Jesus Christ. The Bible says we find that he is in heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ is our sufficient high priest for what he did once on Calvary. It forever settled the debt of sin. It forever paid the price and there is no more need for him to sacrifice or work or to labor, but his work is sufficient. He is our sufficient high priest. He's seated down at the right hand of the Father. We'll find there are chairs in the sanctuary of heaven because when he did his work, it was forever done. There's not too much more aggravating than to do a job only to have to come back and do it again. To be confident that you have done your very best. To know that a job has been completed. I used to work heating and air and there were times where you would go out and work on a system. And you might have to replace a key essential component. And I remember 
one particular instance, I could give you multiple, but uh, we were at a hospital there in Chattanooga and replaced a, a part of a system that went to uh, the cancer ward. And we would work on it. The system had been down, and we spent two days and worked around the clock to get this system up and going. We did everything we could to make sure this job was done correct. Got home. Everything's back up. They moved the patients back into that area. And about two hours later, my phone rings. And it was my boss at the time. He said, hey, Randy, the hospital just called, and that system's down. I sort of laughed. I said, you're joking. I know better than that. We've done that job right. He said, no, I'm telling you, it's down. We went back and had to work through the night and redo the whole job. There is nothing more frustrating than knowing you've done a job and have to go back and redo it again. Yet that's what the priest had to do. They had to go back continually make the sacrifice. Take the life of the lamb or the dove or whatever it might be. And they would have to slay the animal and offer the sacrifice. But then they'd have to turn around and start the process all over again. And the next day and the next day, their job had to continue because the job was never sufficient. But not God. He offered his lamb, Jesus Christ, upon the cross. And as Christ laid down his life, once and for all, he forever, for all eternity, completed the sacrifice. And now he can sit down on the job because it's been completed. He sitteth at the right hand of the Father for his work is done. Look at me in verse number 10 of chapter 8. We find that not only is he seated, but verse number 10 says... For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We find that he is sufficient because he is seated, but we find here that the new covenant will be written in the heart. The new covenant will be written in the heart. See, in the Old Testament, the old covenant, they had the law that Moses, uh, God wrote upon the stone. And then Moses and the Levites, they wrote down the law, the Torah, and all the commandments of God. But in the new, when Christ gives his new covenant, we find here that the covenant will not be written just down upon paper. uh, But it will be written on the hearts and the minds of those that God so has chosen here in this passage of Scripture. There's a new covenant. The old covenant required laws that were enforced by men and priests. Yet the new covenant is written by the Holy Spirit of God upon the heart. And it is bound by the Holy Spirit. See, in the Old Testament, if they, if they uh, disobeyed the law, there were priests, there were people that would tell on them. There were people who it would enforce the law and make sure that they were abiding by the, the, the Levitical laws of the Old Testament. But in the New Testament... As a pastor, I'm not going around trying to make sure you're following the Word of God. Rather, that's the duty of the Holy Spirit who has written the law upon your heart of all believers. His way is so much more better, it's sufficient. It's written upon the heart and the minds of all of us because of Jesus Christ, because He is our high priest. The Old Testament, the priest tried to work and tried to serve But in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is our high priest. He never leaves us nor forsakes us, but his work and his his spirit forever abides in our heart. He is a sufficient high priest. 
But then second of all, I want to look at this service of this high priest. Look at me in verse number 6. In verse number 6 it says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. We find here the service of this new high priest which is Jesus Christ. The Bible says he has obtained a more excellent ministry, that meaning a more excellent service. We find that Jesus Christ is, although he is sitting down at the right hand of the Father, he is still serving you and I, just as the priest in the Old Testament had to serve. Jesus Christ also ministers and serves in the New Testament. The difference is he is no longer working as a sacrifice. He has been sacrificed once and for all. But now the Bible says he has a better ministry, which is that of the mediator of a new covenant. We find that he is a mediator of the new covenant. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 5. The Bible says, for there is one mediator, uh, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So we find that he is the mediator of the new covenant. That is, listen, we no longer go through the priesthood of the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, when they sinned, they had to come to the temple or the tabernacle when they were in the wilderness. And they had to bring animals to sacrifice or offerings or gifts. But in the New Testament, we don't have to go to a priest. We can go directly to our heavenly, our high priest, which is Jesus Christ. And he is a mediator of the new covenant. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for also for the whole world. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. He is our mediator to go on our behalf and say, listen, you have sinned, you stand guilty, you stand fault, uh, uh, full of fault before God, you are unworthy of forgiveness or righteousness, but Jesus Christ says, I am your propitiation, meaning I am your payment, I am your sacrifice, I'm standing in between you and God, a righteous, holy God, and saying, listen, yes, he is guilty, Randy is guilty of sin, he is unworthy of of righteousness but Jesus Christ said but I want to come on his behalf I want to pay his price I want to make my righteousness to be bestowed upon him so that he can come before the heavenly father that's who Jesus Christ is he is the mediator of the new of a better covenant so we are righteous because of him because Jesus Christ is the mediator he's the go-between He's the one that stood between me and eternal damnation in hell because I was guilty of sin, because I was deserving of a Christless eternity. And Jesus Christ was a mediator to stand between, say that not of my righteousness, but according to his mercies, he has saved us. The mediator of the new covenant. But also, he is the minister of the new covenant. Verse number two. Verse number two says, A minister of the sanctuary 
and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected, and not man. Not only is he the mediator of it, but he is the minister of it, the one who serves or, or produces it. 1 John 5.14 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The old, commandment, uh, old covenant demanded gifts, but the new, commandment, or the new covenant offers gifts freely because Jesus Christ is the servant, the minister of this new covenant. He said, listen, not only am I going to come between you in judgment as a mediator, he says, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to minister unto you in this new covenant. This morning, Jesus Christ desires that he would serve us. You think in the Old Testament where he got down and he washed the disciples' feet. How could God in flesh humble himself to wash the feet of men? And yet for you and I, the Bible says he is the minister. That word means to serve the servant of the new covenant. He desires to serve and to give, to work on our behalf. He desires to give gifts if we ask according to his will. He is a minister of the new covenant. Then thirdly, and I'll be done here this morning, I want, we've seen the sufficiency of our high priest. We've seen the service of the high priest. But thirdly, I want to look at this, and I'll be done, the sanctuary of the high priest the sanctuary of the high priest we find the bible says in verse number two that the sanctuary of the true tabernacle which the lord erected and not man in the old testament there was the wilderness tabernacle solomon's temple and herod's temple and of course we know one day there'll be a third temple built all of these were magnificent yet um they really none of them compared to Solomon's temple. Jerusalem's ancient temples have been described in various texts as veritable palaces of grandeur. However, the biblical account of Solomon's temple makes it arguably the most impressive structure ever built, even by today's standards. Especially given that it was covered in what is said 100,000 talents of gold which is around $300 billion in today's value. A third of a trillion dollars in gold ornamented Solomon's temple. That's pretty impressive, even by today's standards. However, what made this temple so beautiful was the gold and the ornamentation that was magnificent that people from all over the world would come to and travel so that they could uphold, uh, behold and, and gaze in beauty at the, at the glory of Solomon's temple that he built for the Lord. Yet the very thing that made Solomon's temple so beautiful was the gold that ornamented the outside and the inside of this temple. But if we go to Revelations... 
we find that the very thing that made Solomon's temple so beautiful, the Bible says in the New Jerusalem, that the streets are paved with gold. I've been to where the temple is, and Lord willing, some of you will join me here next January. And as you go there, uh, there, we, uh, there are rock roads that lead into the, up to the temple mount. And the roads are made of rock. And I've got a little sample of the uh, piece of that rock. And it, it's beautiful. I, I love having a piece of rock that led to the temple. And, and that's wonderful. But the truth is, it's just rock. It's just stone. But the very best that this world had to offer in heaven is nothing more than pavement. We find the sanctuary of the priest is beautiful. Yet it's not the precious stones and metals that make our heavenly tabernacle so beautiful. It's not the gold and all the rubies and diamonds and sapphire and, and, and all the different jewels. But rather we find that it is Jesus Christ that makes the new temple, the new sanctuary so wonderful because of the priest that's there. See, in the Old Testament, what made it special was the temple not the priest. But for the new covenant, it's not the tabernacle that's so wonderful, but it's the priest that makes it what it is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9, but as it is written, eyes have not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the hearts of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even imagine what it's going to be like. Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Won't even matter anymore. We'll forget about it. Because of the glory of that special place. But what makes this new sanctuary of the priests, this new tabernacle, what makes it so wonderful? Verse 2 tells us it's because of who built it. It's greater because of who built it. Who built it? The Lord erected and not man. He is the creator of all things, the one who spoke the universes into existence. With the breath of his nostrils breathed into man, and man became a living soul. The Bible says that with the breath of his nostrils, the Red Sea uh, parted and the waters went back. The one who with his very words spoke the stars and the galaxies and everything into place. He has been working and building a place for you and I. And he built this world in just seven days. But for 2,000 years, he's been building heaven. What makes it so special is the builder. The Bible says it has not even entered into our hearts. Her old preacher, when I was younger, he used to talk about how wonderful heaven was. And he said, listen, he said, There's, the grapes are going to be as big as basketball. He said, the bananas are going to be so big they'll have to have zippers on them. And talked about how wonderful heaven's going to be. And the truth is, we can try to imagine, but it's far greater than we could ever dream of. The Bible says it has not even entered into the heart because of who built it. Verse number four and five, and I'll be done. We find that it's greater because of where it's located. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since they are, there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy of the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. We see here it says, they're a shadow of the heavenly things. 
This new sanctuary is wonderful because of where it's located. Not that it's in heaven. Not that it's beyond what we understand or where we can go now. And sometimes there is excitement of going somewhere new. Don't you enjoy going somewhere new sometimes? We enjoy experiencing new things. We enjoy going to vacation to places we have never been and, and doing things we have never done before. But that is not what makes heaven heaven. I'm not looking to, forward to going to heaven because it's somewhere new and excite, exciting and uh, thrilling. That's not what makes heaven heaven. What makes heaven heaven is because it is located with Jesus Christ. I just want to go wherever he's at, wherever he is. It doesn't matter. I just want to be in the presence of my heavenly father for he is the one that makes heaven so wonderful and glorious. He is my savior. John Newton said, if ever I reach heaven, I expect to find three wonders there. First, to meet some I had not thought to see there. Second, to miss some that I had expected to see there. And third, the greatest wonder of all is to find myself there. That's pretty accurate. I'm sure one day there'll be some that I expected to be there that won't have made it. How about you? Will you be in that number? Sign so preacher, I'm at church this morning. That's great. But will you be there? Then to find some who I didn't expect to be there, but find out they're there. There's going to be some that didn't believe just the way I did, didn't dress or act just the way I did, that here on earth we like to fight and bicker over stuff. If we get to heaven, we're going to find out they, they made it just as good as I did. Because it's about who our face in. But thirdly, just to be there. I'm not worried. Uh, Jerry Clower told the story of the man who, uh, the rich man who had a Cadillac built for him. He said he loved that Cadillac so much he had the, the windshield made to his prescription so he didn't have to wear glasses when he was driving his, Mercedes, or his uh, Cadillac. He said he loved that Cadillac so much when he was buried, they buried him in the Cadillac. The truth is we're not taking any of that with us, though. We're not taking wealth. We're not taking worldly possessions. And in that day, it will not matter. All that will matter is that you made it. This morning, we have a high priest who is sufficient, who desires to serve us, but also he has built a sanctuary, a place for us. And he said, if I go, I will prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And what Jesus said is, I'm going to make a place so, so that wherever I am, Jesus said, I want you with me this morning. Are you ready to meet Christ? Are you ready to stay? before him if today was your last day if in just a moment we dismiss and you go get in your car headed back home or to the restaurant wherever you're going and you were to get in a wreck and you were to meet your maker today and today you stood before God are you prepared to meet him are you ready 
He stands ready and willing to accept you. He stands ready to forgive you of your sins. He has died upon Calvary. He shed his blood. He has done everything so that you might have eternal life. But do you know him? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in prayer. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit might speak to our hearts. Lord, may we learn to trust in the sufficiency of what you did at Calvary. Lord, we're not asking for the laws of man, the rituals, traditions of men. God, what we're asking, Lord, is that you would write your law in our heart. God, that we might trust and put our faith in what you've done at Calvary. Lord, you are our sufficient priest. Yet, God, you've desired to serve us. Lord, you desire to work in our hearts. Father, I'm so unworthy of that. Yet in your mercy and kindness, Lord, you've shown upon us. Lord, thank you. God, today you said that you've gone and prepared a place for us, Lord, that you're seated at the right hand of the Father. What a tragedy it would be if someone here today died unprepared to meet you. Lord, may you work in our hearts. In your name we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you would stand with us, no one looking around. If you would, you close your eyes for just a moment. I wonder this morning, is there someone here who would say, Pastor, I'll be honest with you. If I died right now, I'm not ready to go to heaven. Preacher, I've went through the emotions. I, I've played the part of a Christian. But the truth is, Pastor, I am not ready to stand before God. If that's you this morning, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want you to know that Jesus Christ has poured his life, his blood out on Calvary because he loves you so much. He's died and given all. What he asks from you today is simply this, that you would lay down your life at his feet and say, God, I give you my all. If that's you this morning, right now, I want to ask you, would you pray? Would you bow your head and pray, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Lord, I know that I deserve hell. But God, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe that he is sufficient. I give my life, my faith, my trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. This morning, if that's you, would you pray? Would you give your life to Christ? If you want to come to the altar, we have people ready to pray with you. If God is dealing with your heart for any matter this morning, would you do business with him?